just come into the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. And really, that's what we want to do is we want to be in the presence of the Lord and we want to lift him. And and uh, I, I was enjoying we had some kind of a gathering. A few of us was having dinner last night and <clears throat> I had a chance to talk to Bo- Dr. Bob over here, Smith, um, retired professor from Point Loma. And uh, we are talking in terms of the blessing of the responsibility of being um, a spiritual leader of people, that we have this this responsibility of being a spiritual leader. And those words kind of resonated with me because I, I was thinking about that, that, man, that that is a big deal, that I am spiritually responsible for you. And so as we, you know, we walk through this together and we, we look at the word together and God teaches us and the spirit speaks to us, God is doing something. And, and I understand that there's this responsibility that not only I have for you, but even that we have for each other in the community of Christ, because we are accountable. Amen. And so I, I'm thinking about that. And. And, and I went home and I thought to myself, wow, God is moving and doing something. I, I was blessed, Tim. Uh, I think you were there last board meeting. Tomorrow we have our, our monthly board meeting. And if you're new to the church, we have elected group of people, kind of a representation that we call the church board directors. And we meet on a monthly basis. And last month, I'm just telling you, I just felt the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you board members. A few of you are here this morning. But didn't you feel the presence of the Lord? And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I I think that there were some some things that happened that needed to happen. I think there was a, a corner that was turned. I mean, and, and 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 we were discussing a pretty serious issue. In fact, as you well know, we have a, a five year strategic plan. And and part of the five year strategic plan is that that uh, we want to see ministry expand. and We want to address the campus, the needs of the campus. In fact, we've had an architectural firm involved and, and we have a phase one and a phase two. And it's an awesome plan and we want to do it. And there's no question about that. But the last two board meetings before that one, um, we had unanimously, as a board, we had unanimously said, we're taking that step. We're going to go into phase one. And then we made that decision. I sent a letter out. Some of you read the letter. And then um, right before board meeting last month, I had one of my, my members of the board there. She whispered to me and said, you know, Pastor, I'm wondering about the timing I'm wondering about the timing. And the interesting thing is I was kind of feeling this, this small voice in the back of my head, you know, saying the very same thing. And so I said, yeah. And I prayed some more. And so that board meeting a month ago, I, I said to the board, I set everything down, notebooks, papers, pens. And I said, we, we need to have a, a talk. I, I want to talk about this timing thing. And, and pretty soon there was a little hesitation, but then pretty soon one of our board members shared what they were feeling that, yes, this is a great plan and we're going to do this. But right now we want to we want to be in the middle of God's will, not kind of successful. We want to see the outpouring of success for God's glory and God's will. And so they said, yeah, I kind of feel that maybe it's the timing. Maybe it should be more like a year from now or, or whatever God's timing is. And then somebody else shared and, and then somebody else shared. And in fact, someone became a little emotional about it. And, and all of a sudden, this thing that was kind of a business thing, all of a sudden there was this breakthrough and it became a spiritual thing. As the leaders of your church began to say again and again, we want God's timing, not our timing. 
And we made that decision. We made that decision. And all of a sudden, it felt like the church board took a breath. (laughs) It's like they took this breath. And there's this overwhelming peace. And that overwhelming peace came because there, there was transparency. I believe there was a, a, a spirit of transparency that brought a unity that it's not the pastor's will. It's not my will. It's not that board member's will. It's not that influencer's will. It is God's will that we want to be in the middle of. And it all happened. And the spirit of unity happened because there was transparency. I love Pastor Wes, our student ministries pastor. The first couple minutes he was here, uh, first couple months he was here, not minutes, but months he was here at the church, I had him share with the staff some insights, some thoughts. And you know, I give staff members a chance to do that. And he shared, and, and this is what he shared. He, he said, for an organization to be healthy, you know, for a family or, say, a business to be healthy, he said there's three elements. In fact, uh, let's go ahead and put them up on the screen there. We have them on the screen there for you. And and that is that transparency. I mean, if you're going to be healthy, you have to be transparent. You have to be willing to share with each other. And that transparency then leads to what? It leads to trust. That's the next one on the screen. And then that there leads to what? Effectiveness. So there is this process that happens in the midst of transparency. There begins to be trust because we are sharing. And in that sharing, then there is effectiveness that begins to happen in ministry. Meaning the healthy organization or family or business must learn to be transparent, which began to lead me on this search, not for reasons for trust, but for ways to build up trust in our organization or our community. And so I began to think about that. I mean, what will help us build up trust? In fact, there are keys, three keys that I want to share with you. And by the way, these three keys are not, you know, they're not profound. They're, they're the kind of foundational keys, Dave, that, that they, they matter. And in fact, we need to remind ourselves. And sometimes we get doing business and we get, you know, focused on the agenda. And then we say, oh, yeah, we need to remember these foundational keys. That's the kind of keys that I want to share with you this morning if we're going to be the greatest church member in the world. By the way, I should probably ask that question. How many want to be the greatest church member in the world? Raise your hand. <laughs> Okay, come on now. That's like 10%. Uh, okay, can it be possible? I love it. So there are three keys that I, I want to share with you about building trust. And uh, really it's going to be based on Ephesians, uh, a piece of Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're going to look at them in reverse because it, it really does matter. And the first one is Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 11 through 22. And really, in essence, once we kind of really focus it, and I love the theology there, but I'm not talking about the theology. I'm talking about the concept, the conceptual, you know, idea that Paul is presenting there to the church at Ephesus, which really in turn is presenting to us this morning. And so when we reduce it down, we look past the theology and it's a little bit more distilled. We realize that what Paul is saying, he's challenging us to do. He's challenging us to talk the talk. You know, not just to, you know, not just to think about it and say, yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm spiritual. You know, I love being Christian and it's beyond just an idea, but that we are positive and we are embracing and we are talking the talk. In fact, let's go to Ephesians chapter two, beginning at verse 11 through 22. 
Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he's talking about, of course, Jews and Gentiles and that there is this there is this, you know, separation. There is this law. And now by the blood of Christ, there is this there is this unity that is coming in the family of God. And then verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. And so we understand that like parts of the body we read about later on, that we have our own part and we have our role that we play. And that as we fit together like those blocks or those bricks in the building and they work together to make one wonderful, you know, structure. And so God is building the family, the kingdom, just like that, that you are a very important part. This is why it's important that we understand what it means to be united and to be together and to focus on God's will. And then we look at the last verse there. Go, just go to verse 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will be just lifted up everything that's said and done. I pray that, Father in heaven, that yes, that we, we will be all that we can be, that we'll be all that you've called us to be. But I understand, Father, I know that I cannot live up to, Lord, this calling without your Holy Spirit. As we were just kind of sharing in a fun way with the kids, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And maybe that's intriguing to someone here today. And maybe somebody is thinking, well, what does that mean for me? I mean, is that even possible to be filled by the Holy Spirit? And so, Father, I just pray that you would just speak to those hearts. Speak to our congregation, Father. Speak to our church as we we move forward and, Lord, begin to anticipate the great things and even the greater things that you're going to do. We love what you're doing, Father. And so we humbly come before you and we trust you. We need you, Father. So, Lord, I pray a blessing, anointing upon this reading. As we look at your word, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Amen. So, again, we're looking at, uh, again, not that profound, but key uh, understandings of, of what it means, you know, to, to work together. And so, 
Let me say it this way. The first one is that working together and not against. That's the first key, that we're working together and not against. Which the point is that working together is not, and I'm going to talk about what it's not for a moment. Working together, congregation, is not agreeing on everything. (laughs) Right? It's not agreeing on everything. I mean, this is not reality, and it's only temporary at best if there's something that we find that we agree on. Because we have different personalities. You know, we have different thoughts. We have different opinions and ideas. And, and we bring these all together, and a spirit of collaboration uprises from that as then the very best of who we are as we work together. And we work in the midst of the synergy that can happen as we learn to collaborate. And we say, okay, yeah, we're going to have different thoughts and ideas, but, man, we're going to be together. Like my wife and I in marriage, I mean, we have certain policies, things that we agree to, like uh, one of the things we agree to is we're never going to go to bed mad. We're going to stay up and fight. That's our policy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, you know, we just kind of live into that. No, we don't fight. You know, we used to, but not much anymore. And, and, and the fact is, I really love pleasing Heidi. And I know that Heidi loves pleasing me. And I just say yes, dear, and it pleases both of us. So, no, I'm just kidding. But anyways, yeah, but working together, right? And, and, and so working together is not agreeing on everything. Working together is not, and I'm, I might be, you know, meddling a little bit, but it is not allowing hostility to have the upper hand no matter how justified. No matter how justified. Verse 16, Jesus brings peace and reconciliation. This is really, I mean, this is really a radical resolution considering the powers that be and the the law and the movement of of the law. And, of course, you know, the power of the the Roman Empire and, and of course, you know, the rabbis and all the religious, you know, implications with this. And and how reconciliation and peace, which really is the bookends of, of Christianity. That there is this peace and this reconciliation spirit that Jesus gives to us. And so then in verse 16, Paul writes about putting to death hostility. And certainly Christ is ushering in a, a new, you know, uh, a new order, ushering in, you know, the order of grace. We understand that. And and yet there's still because of being human, there's still the possibility of of having hostile spirits or or having hostility. And whether it's maybe aggressive or passive aggressive, but th- there's this temptation. So we know we need the spirit of the holy of our God to to fill us and help us. Jesus gives us the recurring theme, I mean, in context, he's speaking to the church then, but he's speaking to us now. And that is this theme of making peace and reconciling for peace and bringing peace to humanity. I mean, he sprinkles that throughout all this chapter as we understand that that God is a God of peace. No question. I guess there is a question. And the question is, has anything changed? I mean, what God is doing through Jesus. Has has anything changed at all? Look at the last verse. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In which God lives by his spirit. You see, he wants to fill us. And the question is, are we filled? Are we filled by the Holy Spirit? I like this question or this quote that I came across. Here it is. It seems what's on the inside spills out on the outside, and it usually comes out our mouth. (laughs) You see, working together, (laughs) what is on the inside is eventually going to come out to the outside. And if the inside is ugly, 
Or if the inside is beautiful because of the spirit of the living God in us. Church member, what is coming out from the inside? For filled by the spirit. The, the second, the second uh, key um, that the Lord laid on my heart to be the best church member in the world is to work to serve rather than control the outcome. Work to serve rather than control the outcome. And so now we go to Ephesians chapter 1, and he's going to uh, get to the idea of walking the walk. So first we've learned to talk the talk, and then we're going to be positive because we're sealed in the spirit of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk the talk, and we're going to be careful. But then also we're going to walk the walk. In fact, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, we enjoy Paul recounting all that God has done for us. The blessings that he, he gives us in heavenly realms and how he chose us before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. And that his adoption of us is God's pleasure. It's not something that God is forced to do. But we revel in the fact that God, it pleases him that he adopts us into his kingdom. And then he lavishes on us his grace and his wisdom and understanding and bringing unity for all of creation. And then now we come to this passage and now this is where we walk it out. And we walk that faith out. And so go to Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verse 11 through 14. We're going to read that together. Again, Ephesians, uh, back to chapter 1. Let's begin at verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You see, this is key because, see, oftentimes we, we like the idea of having faith or we like the idea of what it means to be Christian. But when it comes to walking it out, when it comes to taking action and saying, okay, I'm going to live my life on a daily basis according to the conformity or conforming to God's perfect will in me is a whole different story. Because, again, we're good at having faith. We're good at having, you know, this idea of what it means to be a Christian or what it, it you know, insinuates to, 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 to live a spiritual life. It's all different story, altogether different story when we talk about walking and living it out. And then we pick up in verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So now we're given a reason for walking out our faith in Christ. We have that reason to bring glory to God, right? And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. So here we are, you know, beginning the walk because we're walking it out. And of course, it's in context of the last paragraph where, where Paul is really thanking them for living their faith out because that's what walking the walk means, that we're living our faith out. And he's saying it like this, that you hope in him or your hope is in him. And we live like our hope is in him. And when we have hope in him, then it's going to affect our talk. It's going to affect our walk. It's going to affect the way that we live our life out because our hope is in him. And then he says, then you believe in him. And by the way, when you put hope or your belief in something, I mean real belief, it wells up in a certain, it wells up in certain desires and emotions. It wells up in the way that we decide things, the decisions that we make, like the Apostle Paul, who later he decides to take the high road. (laughs) 
And by the way, the high road was the tougher road. The road of righteousness and holiness. You see, it was the road where there was heartache and beatings and shipwrecks. And and there was all kinds of things that Paul had to go through because he, he took the higher road imprisonment. Why? Because of hope and belief. I mean, there's just something about hope and belief. It moves us into the realm of the impossible. You know that when you have hope and belief, you move into the realm of the impossible. I love what Davidson Pierre helped me do and invited me to be a part of. I, I think some of you have met Davidson Pierre. He's a he's a uh, a gentleman from Haiti. He was an orphan on the streets of, of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And when I say that, if you've not ever visited, you really cannot get the full impact of what it means to not only just live in the port, Port-au-Prince of Haiti, but to be an orphan on the streets there. I mean, it's rough. I mean, it's rough. And Davidson had been abandoned by his parents and he was just living hand to mouth. And he encountered a, 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 a woman missionary who, who saw something in him. In fact, uh, he didn't really go into the orphanage right away. It wasn't until his latter teens, like 17 or 18 years of age. She says, won't you just come stay with me and here at the orphanage? And, and she noticed that he had a gift, that he, he knew math. He knew numbers real well. In fact, he was exceptionally gifted. And I love the story how he ended up teaching at what they would we would call their college level education that he was teaching there was receiving the the teacher of the year award. And the president was asking, where did you study? He says, I didn't study anywhere (laughs) because he was just so gifted. So not long after that, uh, there was a benefactor. Somebody decided to bring Davidson to America, and he went to university, got his courses, his B.A., then he got a master's and was working on his doctorate when I left Florida. So he probably has his doctorate by now. He's a professor at two universities here. He was a, a board member of our church and a choir member. And he came to me and he said, Pastor, he said, you know, I'm blessed. I've been brought here to America. I'm blessed. But there's this place called Hinch, Haiti, H-I-N-C-H-E. And there's like 3,000 kids there. They're starving. There's no Nazarene church. I want to start a school. And so Davidson took me on a trip to Haiti and... And, and he showed me, you know, what was going on. I'll never forget that first trip. Literally, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 kids that was, you know, gathered around me. And they were asking for food because they hadn't eaten for three days. And, he, and then, of course, later on with Davidson, he began to explain his vision, his dream with me. And, and so we went back and, and we ended up purchasing property. And, and then we built, built some old shacks and we had kind of a little kitchen shack and a little classroom shack and, and a, the shack for something else and on this new property. And then time passed and then a, a, a person from our church donated $100,000 and we bought a, a steel building, a, a steel frame building. We shipped it overseas and now there's this building. And by the way, there's 200 kids in that school and there's now Nazarene church there in Hinch, Haiti. And you see that happened because there was something that that missionary saw in Davidson. She, she believed in him. And then Davidson had this hope that God was going to do something. And if you would have asked me a few years ago, eight years ago, if anything like what's happening there now would happen, I'd say, no, it's impossible. There's no resources. It's hard to get there. It's impossible. You see, when there's belief and hope, the impossible becomes possible. Amen. And I, I see that in, in, his, in his testimony. Verse 11, again, verse 11, work out everything in conformity of his will. It means that we're doing his will. We're walking the part. 
And maybe that's where the challenge is for us. Because, and again, I might be meddling here. The walking part, you see, that's, that's the serving part. Did you catch that? The walking part, believer, is, is the serving part. And that means that we're willing to serve. And that we step up and serve. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do in the world because, you know, the easiest thing for us is, is to think of only ourselves. I understand that. I mean, there's, there's that constant pressure and temptation, you know, to protect ourselves. And, and so the walking part for us is it's the serving part. In fact, in our bulletin there, you can see we have this little black square where we say be in worship, be in mission community, be serving. You can see that there. And we say be in worship because that is where we we gather as a community and worship God. and We learn how to worship better. Be in a mission community because that's that's where there's accountability and we hold each other accountable and we grow together in Christ. And, of course, be serving. That's the walking part that that we're willing to serve. And and it means that we really and here here's kind of the meddling part. It means that we're kingdom centered rather than self-centered. I, I was so proud of the women's event, the Daughters of the King we had just big women's, a hundred women in here, and there's all kinds of people serving and working, and I'm so proud of everybody that participated in that and, and all the serving that went on. You see, if we're going to be united, part of that is that we're, we're serving together. We're working together. And God is glorified in that. The third idea, the third key that I, I, I want to share with you this morning is work on supporting the pastors or pastor and believe that God will work through him or her. And this is part of working on supporting each other. And one source, in fact, goes so far as to say, and I want to read this quote for you. If pastors, elders aren't teaching the gospel, catechizing the church in the gospel, teaching them their responsibility for service, then they'll they're ill equipping the church for the job Jesus has given them. So when at the business of supporting our pastors, what happens is we can focus on ministry and not on watching our backs. Because we're focused on, on, on doing the ministry and the will of God. When we, we support the pastor or pastors, uh, we're, we're following God and not the fallibilities of man. I, I need to say this. I will probably let you down. I will maybe say something and forget and then say something else. I will probably, you know, I know that I will probably let you down at some time. But but part of being united is that we believe that God has anointed those that are the pastors or though that one that is pastor. And I'm not talking on behalf of myself, but just the sense of what it takes to be the family of God for God's glory. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. I, I remember uh, doing ministry at a place called Sunny Ridge Manor in Napa, Idaho, um, where uh, we lived when I was, I was in college there in Napa at Northwest Nazi University. But as I think a freshman or sophomore, uh, they invited me to be their pastor, their campus pastor. And there was about 160 people there. And I'm like, you know, 19 years old. And I preached for them on Sunday night. And I tell you what, man, I was horrible. And I just kind of stumbled all over the place. But those people were so gracious and they were so kind and they were so 
patient with me and they were so supporting of me. It was a wonderful place to begin to learn how to share the word of God. And those people gave me the space and the in the room to do just that. And so I praise the Lord for that. And so so this means supporting leadership that God has placed or anointed to be in place, which creates the atmosphere of trust. And people begin to learn and they grow in the atmosphere of trust as we support and we encourage. And then we can also combine our resources. When we support the pastors, we can combine our resources and energies in doing God's work. Let me say what trust will do. Trust, it does not allow the enemy to create ill feelings. Why? Because the trust is precious. The trust is precious. And so we're careful to protect that. We get to have focus on, on what it is that God has called us to, you know, rather than maybe petty issues. And, and as we protect the pastor or the pastors, then we protect the church. I mean, it makes sense. And, and then God is glorified. So how do we do that? Well, look at what we just uh, read together this morning. Do what we say we will, which means walk the walk. Do what we say we will. And then be careful what we say. Talk the talk. And so, and, and then finally, trust. Protect the trust, safeguard the trust, the honesty and the integrity of that trust. And how to do this? Seek unity and peace because it cannot happen without trust. I, uh, um, I don't know if I should reveal this, but I watched a movie uh, called uh, Meet the Parents. Anybody ever watched that movie before? And I mean, it's a comedy. And you guys remember the big deal about Robert De Niro, who's the father-in-law or the father-in-law to be? The big deal was the circle. You remember that Uh, you're in the circle. You're not in the circle. It's the circle of trust. It's the circle of trust. And and so he put this tremendous pressure on his to be son in law that, you know, I need to trust you. I need to believe what you say. So you're either in the circle of trust or you're not in the circle of trust. And I mean, that was the theme throughout the whole movie. And so I wanted to just kind of recall that. And if I could use my imagination or your imagination, I want you to imagine that there is a great big circle and it starts right here. It goes around to the side aisle along the back there behind John. It goes out there and it grabs the people in the foyer and in the Sunday school classes. It goes around you guys in the back. It goes around over here, around the worship team. And then the circle comes back all the way over here. Because what I want to say is that you are in the circle. (laughs) You are in the circle of trust. And as we are unified and as we focus on Christ and his will, God will be glorified as we learn to trust each other. I want to invite you to turn to the person beside you, somebody beside you. Look at them. Say the person to your right. Let me just give you that direction. The person to your right, make sure they, are, they can hear you. You might have to take turns and say, hey, I got your back. Hey, I got your back. Okay, now turn to the left to the other person and say, we're in this together. Now say that to them. We're in this together. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. We're in this together. You're in the circle of trust. Let's do it, church. Amen. For his glory. Let's build the kingdom and let's glorify him by worshiping him, being in church, being in service, and let's work together for his glory. Let's stand. We're going to have the worship team come. And uh, we're going to sing in just a moment, but let me pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your, your blessing. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, that you love us. You lavish us with your grace and your goodness, and we enjoy that, Father. And, Father, I pray for that one this morning, that man or that woman today that's come here. And maybe they, they came with some questions. 
Maybe there's emptiness in their life or maybe possibly there's something that's just creating pressure. I pray that, Father in heaven, that they just sense your presence, your anointing in their lives. That you would fill them, Father, with your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you, God, for trusting us with this message, the message of salvation. And so, Father, I pray for that man, that woman, that young person right now, that you would just bless them. And, Lord, help us to be the church. Help us to do all the things, be all the things that you've called us to be. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.